0: Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ernest, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org.
1: We're also supported by Visit Tilmutt Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley with a new recreation map you'll hear about later in the show.
0: Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department encourages Oregonians to come out and experience the changing seasons, but also be well prepared for whatever winter brings, whether it's snow on the mountain passes or big tides at the coast. Okay, in today's episode, we are breaking down a classic Oregon tradition. How to cut your own Christmas tree from the snowy mountain forest. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, in this episode we're talking about everything you could possibly need to know about cutting a Christmas tree from Oregon's national forests. With a permit, This allows for a real adventure where you head out into the wild woods to find that perfect tree. So we're going to revisit an episode of the podcast on Christmas tree hunting that we published two years ago, back in the before times of 2019. It broke down where to get a permit, what trees to look for, where to get them, and how to be properly outfitted. Fortunately, and unlike the rest of the world, only a few minor things have changed in the past two years when it comes to adventure Christmas tree hunting. If anything, the pandemic has made tree hunting in the national forest even more appealing because store-bought trees are even more expensive. And of course, the whole focus during the pandemic has been getting outdoors and distanced, and there is no better way to do that than tree hunting.
1: So the two biggest things that have changed since the episode first aired is where to get your permit and the closures that are still in place due to the Labor Day fires.
0: Yep. So in the podcast that you're about to hear, you'll hear us reference kind of an obscure website to purchase the permit that you need to cut a tree. Um, so that has changed to recreation.gov, the website that has become kind of the one stop shop for pretty much every permit or reservation that you make on federal public land. So once again, that's recreation.gov to get the permit. you Just go there. You search the name of the national forest that you're planning to visit like Willamette National Forest or Mount Hood National Forest, and then you add in Christmas tree and they'll take you right to the page uh, to get the permit. It's very easy. It costs $5 per tree plus a $2.50 processing fees. So you can buy multiple tree permits at the same time. You can also get them in local businesses, but you know, this is kind of the easiest way.
1: The other thing of course, is the tens of thousands of acres of forest that remain closed after the Labor Day fires of 2020. Not that it would really make a lot of sense looking for a Christmas tree in a giant wildfire scar anyway. To find open areas, check out the websites for the specific national forest you're looking at. They'll have maps showing the closure areas and where you're allowed to cut or not. Links to those maps are also found on recreation.gov. Just type in the forest name and Christmas tree permit and they'll pop up.
0: Beyond that, most of the other stuff remains pretty much the same. And coming up, you're gonna hear David and I, perhaps sounding a bit more lighthearted and carefree in the world that was two years ago, talking about every aspect of getting into Oregon's snowy mountains to get that perfect tree. I've been doing this for the past three years with my kids, and it's a blast every time, so I do highly encourage it as long as it's done right. So in this episode, we are talking about a classic Oregon tradition, going into the woods to cut a Christmas tree. It's something that seemed pretty well-known, and I've done real quick stories about it pretty much every year. But this year, a few things happened
1: that kind of jumped out at me and inspired me to take a, sort of a deeper look at this. Two big things kind of happened recently when it came to Christmas trees. For one, the cost of trees you buy in stores, lots, and even the you-cut. Tree farms has really gone up in the last few years. And there's a bunch of sort of economic reasons behind that. Mm-hmm. You know, a bunch of farms closed in the recession, and just sort of the amount of time it takes for trees to grow to mature levels to be cut. And, you know, there's just a ton of things that impact that little tree before it gets to market. Yeah. Actually, uh, you know, prices right now, consumers across the US have paid an average of $78 <laughs> for a Christmas tree. That was back in 2018. Like almost $80 for a tree? Yeah. That is insanity.
0: I know, and it does not come with gold-plated ornaments. Yeah. Which you would think it would at that price. It is slightly cheaper in Oregon. This is true. You know, doing a, a survey, we do have more Christmas trees here. So you can get them, especially in that 40 to $60 range. But for a nice tree, you're talking at least $55, possibly more.
1: Yeah. So really, you know, the, the alternative here, the cheaper alternative, you grab a permit, you know, from the National Forest Office, head out into the forest, five bucks. Five dollars.
0: So the prices have pushed people there. But the other reason I was interested is that people from out of state keep moving to Oregon in high numbers and in a lot of cases, it's for outdoor recreation and things kind of like this to do this choose your own adventure in the wild where you go out with a handsaw and you know, Paul Bunyan style of tree. But when you're heading into the mountains to get one, Right on the edge of winter, there is a lot to know, including first how to get a permit, then where you find a good Christmas tree, and how not to get stuck in the snow. There's actually a lot more to it, like tree identification, where to find those really
1: good Christmas trees. It's not as simple as people think. So in this episode, we're going to break down all the important things you need to know before actually getting a tree from Oregon's National Forests.
0: Okay, so the first thing that we want to hit on is getting the permit and choosing where to go.
1: Yeah, so the areas we're talking about are the National forests. For, for simplicity's sake, we're going to talk about the Willamette National Forest. It's probably the closest one, yeah. um, you know, has the most to offer.
0: So you, if you live in, in uh, Portland, it would be Mount Hood National Forest, but really the exact same ideas apply. So anything, the first thing to do is to go online and you can buy a permit. Now, you can do this at a website called openforest.com, there's a link in the story I just wrote. Anyway, it's really easy. The permits cost just $5 per tree. My family did it recently. We wanted two trees. So five plus five, $10. You print off the permits and away you go.
1: Yeah. In addition to the amazing online option, which is somewhat unique, honestly, in national forest activities. It's
0: a new thing that they have, that they have advanced digitally. Yeah.
1: You can also go the old fashioned route and head into a ranger station like Detroit ranger station up highway 22 and pick up a permit there as well. One important side note. So while you're getting the permit now take advantage and print off some
0: important information that's going to come up later. The first one is a map, you know, it shows you where you're allowed to harvest a tree, more importantly, where you cannot harvest one. Second thing is a guide to identifying trees. Now, I can't stress this enough because you get out there and all the trees look kind of the same. And the thing is, you're allowed to harvest a noble fir, a grand fir, a Douglas fir, and a Pacific silver fir, but there are some species you're not allowed to cut. So you do need to be able to tell the difference between the species. And that's kind of hard because again they all look the same so what I did so I took screenshots of pictures of the trees so I had them on my phone so it's out in the forest didn't need to log on to anything it was just there this picture that is like okay this is a grand fur I can tell because of X, Y, and Z
1: yeah I mean for a lot of us I feel like botany classes were probably <laughs> quite a few years in the rear view and unless you're you know really into your outdoor plant identification, you probably need to brush up a little bit.
0: And the thing is, you know, I'm pretty good at identifying trees when they're larger. When they're smaller, it's actually even harder because you have to like look at the needles and kind of look at stuff like that. It's subtle.
1: It's sort not... of the secondary characteristics.
0: Yeah. And it's it's like, even for somebody like me, I've been doing this job outdoor reporting for a decade. And I mean, I need a guide. I can't just just tell like, oh, that's a grand fir. That's a noble fir.
1: The following message is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council. Did you know healthy managed forests provide benefits for all forest users? Science-based forestry provides habitat for many wildlife species such as elk and deer, filters pollutants from our water and air, supports outdoor recreation, and provides renewable wood products and good paying jobs. AFRC stands for Sustainable Forests and Healthy Communities. Learn more at amforest.org.
0: All right, our newest sponsor is Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean beach, ancient forest, and a shocking number of beautiful places you might never have heard of, all centered around towns like Manzanita, Pacific City, and Tillamook. This is a beautiful area to visit, and the best way to plan a trip here is by looking at their newly created Trails and Recreation map. The map features 800 different sites from campgrounds to beaches to hiking trails. My favorite thing about the map is that it breaks down activities into 13 categories. So say you're looking for a campsite. Just click on the drop-down menu and 22 different campsites appear, and you can get information on each one. If you're looking for a hike or a way to get on the water, the map has 40 different trails and 48 boat ramps all laid out on an easy-to-navigate digital map. To find the map and get started, visit TillamookCoast.com recreation hyphen map. So you've got your permit, you've got your map, you've got your trusty tree identification guides. Up next is planning a trip to the forest. And here's a crucial detail. Most of the really nice Christmas trees, so the nobles and the grand firs, the ones you really want to have in your house that hold the ornaments on really well, they grow above 3,500 feet. Now you can certainly harvest trees at lower elevations, But in a lot of cases, you're going to end up with something that looks like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Not very full, a lot less classic Christmassy, maybe even a little sad. So I'd shoot for the slightly higher elevations.
1: Yeah, but then again, the issue is by December, a lot of those high elevations come with a little bit of snow on the ground. Mm -hmm. You know, and access can be pretty tricky. So to start out, you really want to double check your conditions before you leave the house. Hop on a trip check, look at some of the webcams at similar elevations so you can get an idea of, you know, what the snow situation is like. Yep. Or, of course, go ahead and ring up the uh, ranger station near where you're headed. They usually have some pretty good updated info.
0: So my recent trip to get a tree was pretty instructive. You know, I looked on TripCheck.com and saw there was a few inches of snow, but not too much, around 3,500 feet. And that's typical for this time of year. So I got our rig with snow tires. I brought chains along. And I hope to drive on the Forest Service roads to kind of get into the backcountry and look at more trees. But... If that wasn't safe, I also got a snow park permit that would allow me to park at one of the plowed out areas if it wasn't safe to drive on those snowy roads. Now, snow park permits, we've talked a lot about them on this podcast, but they're basically just plowed out access points. And I buy one every year because they're great for winter recreation, Um, but you can get them for $5 or $25 for the season. And it just, you'll have a way to get into the forest that way
1: for sure. Okay, so you're driving up Highway 22, you've got your permit, your vehicle's outfitted, you got your snow tires, you've even got your snow park permit. What's next?
0: So, I typically target uh, an area, you know, in my case, it's near Maxwell and Big Spring Snow Park off Highway 22 near Detroit. I know that they're right around 3,600 feet, and they're also really forested areas. So it's a good area, and this was suggested by Forest Service Rangers, it's a good area to find one of these classic Christmas trees. So in this case, you know, I drove up, we're seeing a little bit of snow on the side of the road, and we pulled into Big Spring Snow Park, but we found there was still just a few inches of snow on the ground, so we felt safe driving up some of the Forest Service roads. So we headed up a road, we looked for kind of slightly open areas in the canopy, you know, areas where the trees were a little bit more full, you know, it wasn't totally full of shade. The kids jumped out of the car, started building snowman, and, (laughs) you know, I walked around with a handsaw and kind of just contemplated the forest. You start to go blind after a while looking at so many trees, but that's what you got to do.
1: So one reason to give yourself some extra time is that it's not really the easiest thing in the world to ultimately find your perfect tree. So you don't want to, you know, give yourself just an hour of daylight or something. Do not. Unlike the ones grown in Christmas tree farms, you're really dealing with, like, nature's best here in that it can be completely all over the map.
0: And they are all over the map. You know, those perfectly symmetrical trees that you see growing, those are, you know, trimmed to look that way. Like, they don't exist in nature. So... It's actually more fun to take your time, too. You know, I played in the snow with the kids. Then I'd go around looking for trees. Then we'd have hot chocolates. And then if we didn't find anything great, we'd just drive a little farther up the road. But you treat it more like an adventure, like planning for a long-term hike, than for, like, a quick thing where you just, oh, we're going to drive out, grab a tree, and come back.
1: Yeah, it's also worth pointing out that you're only allowed to cut a tree 15 feet or shorter. And you're definitely not allowed to... Say choose your own height and cut a tree in half. You really need so you can only like take the top. You really need to do the whole thing, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, sadly, I've seen a lot of places where people haven't done that. Like, and I see where they're coming from. You get frustrated. You're looking at so many trees, you can't find the perfect one. The kids are yelling at you, and you're just like, oh, I got to do something. And so they hack off the top part of a big tree, and they're like, Oh, this is great, but that is not allowed. You have to cut it actually six inches from the ground. So you got to take the whole tree. And it's a bummer to see, you know, you see these sort of like sad half trees in these popular uh, forest getting areas.
1: So how did everything turn out? Well, it was
0: great because it was a combination of, you know, the kids just having fun in the snow. And then eventually, you know, we got up the road and we found a nice little uh, noble fir tree for the kids. It was about five feet tall. And uh, then we found a Pacific silver fir that was about eight feet tall. It wasn't quite as full. It wasn't like the perfect Christmas tree, but it was pretty good. And cut them down, uh, you know, brought a bunch of straps and ropes, you know, tied them to the roof, and, and we got out of there. And you know, it was, a, it was a full day, but it was a really rewarding day because we were, we were pr- prepared for everything. And it was, it, it was honestly nice. It was like going on a nice long hike with the kids.
1: Okay. So we started off this podcast actually sort of talking about the high price of Christmas trees. And I know the story that Zach did earlier sort of did an economic breakdown to see how much in total it all cost. So how do they compare?
0: So here's the total breakdown. So $5 for the permit for each tree. So we got two. So that was $10. For gas, you know, I looked at this pretty closely and I figured it was about $20 to $25 because you do have to drive out past Detroit, out into the mountains. So it's not a short trip. You know, it's an, at least an hour drive. We got some sandwiches and cookies from Subway, so that was 22 bucks. That is obviously optional. And then the snow park permit, which again, it's optional, but in deep snow, you'd want to get one. And that is either five for the day, 25 for the full year. So the total can be anywhere from like 30 on the cheap side to like 62 on the high end. Which is still, for two trees, a lot cheaper than the $78, the average Well, and paying. really,
1: if you sort of calculate it as like a fun day out with the family, yep. I mean, that's, you know, you would have been spending money to possibly do something else. Yeah. So
0: I think economically, it, it pencils out in just about every way imaginable. The only downside is that, like, you know, if you do one of these things wrong, you could get stuck in the snow. Um, or you can end up with kind of a bummer of a tree. And look, you're not gonna get the totally perfect tree that you're used to getting if you wanna pay that high price. But for the fun, for you know, having a better story,
1: I, I really like this. Okay, so let's go ahead and round it out with sort of the gear that you would wanna bring along.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff here. And when you get a permit, they give you a nice breakdown. But look, you, know, you need a handsaw, obviously. You need a measuring tape, um, straps and rope to get it onto the car, warm clothes for sure. Tire chains, just in case. Thermos of hot chocolate. You know, my wife (laughs) packed that for the kids. That was a... Came in clutch. Came in clutch. Um, And then a shovel. And those are kind of the the main things.
1: Well, that's all the time we have left in today's show. We hope this encouraged you to consider a different option for your Christmas tree this year. If you like what you heard, check out our catalog of what is now over 50 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore. You can also find us, as always, at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry and public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for our future. Learn more at amforest.org.
0: We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast, a great place to plan your outdoor adventure with the help of their new recreation map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors.
1: Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us on the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.